Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. Today I'm sitting down with one of the co-owners and directors of one of Sydney's most loved institutions, and it's Char Grill Charlie's. For those who haven't been there and you're missing out, it's a shop that serves Char Grill chicken, but so much more than that. And by the way, it's all across Sydney. Our guest is Saul Sher. He's one of the directors, as I said earlier. He runs the business along with his two cousins. I'm going to talk to Saul about the importance of building character within a business and how that becomes your internal brand. And in order to build a new store, we talk about the obvious thing, systems and processes which are to be reduced to writing. The importance of protecting your intellectual property about how the business runs. This is going to be a really interesting one. I can't wait. So let's get into it. Saul Sher, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you. Righto. So I detect a South African accent. Give me the background. Yes. So South Africa until 1993 when we emigrated to Australia, um, emigrated with my family. I was just 20 years old and joined my cousins, um, uncle and cousin who emigrated in 1989, who started Chargrill Charlie's. And that's where it all began. I just, I'm always curious, and I think our listeners would be curious too. I mean, my father emigrated to this country from, from Greece and it was, it was because Greece had been through the war and had been occupied by Germany, and then there was a civil war when they left. What is the reason why we have a lot of people emigrating from South Africa, and is that part of the reason they, generally speaking, do quite well? Or is that do you think that there is a certain drive when they establish themselves in a new country that they have to perform? What is it that starts the emigration, and then do you believe that there is a drive that comes with that emigration? Yeah, definitely. I think most of the emigration from South Africa was due to the violence and the ones that could get away um, actually fled in a way because of the violence. They didn't want to bring up their children in that society, so they left. I know that's exactly what happened with my cousins who emigrated first, which was in 1989. And then my parents actually said, we'll never leave South Africa. We love it. We love it. Until my father was hijacked. When he was hijacked, and obviously nothing happened to him. He was very lucky and decided, well, um, his time in South Africa is up. And it was basically because of the violence more than anything else. It's funny because um, I, I was working in law firm during that period um, from 1986, 85 to 1991. And at least half the partners of the firm 
during that period became were South Africans. And um, some of the story, I mean, I never really got to the bottom because I was only a young fellow. I was in my late 20s. But um, the, the stories were that you had to emigrate and you had to leave everything behind. You had to actually turn up to Australia with basically nothing You because there was exchange control or some sort of controls there. You couldn't actually take money out of South Africa. Would that be right? That is exactly how it was. Um, it was very strict. And also not only being strict, the rand dollar was terrible. It was about... 10 to 1, 8 to 1. So, so you couldn't buy anything with it? You couldn't buy anything with it. I know my parents, for instance, in South Africa were quite well off, um, had a house, had a holiday house, had a business, sold everything and managed to buy a very small house in Rose Bay. So, yes, we had a little house to live in, but we didn't have anything else. Yeah, we had to go it. back to square one. My father was 50-ish years old. Um, planning for retirement in South Africa and then had to start his life all over again. And I think that's a reason for immigrants working so hard in a new country because they actually started again at an age of 50 where they've done that. That's a, that's a really interesting um, insight into why we, get, why we get driven, where we get our drive to achieve things. Um, and, I, and I guess it's difficult when you arrive when your, your family, your parents and your uncle, et cetera, arrived in Australia, you know, they can't just go and say, well, I'm going to become the prime minister or I'm going to, in some cases, you got, I mean, you, it's based on this country anyway. It's very structured. It's based on your education. And um, a lot of times you can't just walk in and become a mechanic or a doctor or a lawyer. Um, you have to innovate a little bit and come up with some ideas. You know, for example, retail, which is yep. what, uh, Charlie Charlie's is it's a retail place selling chickens yes. and vegetables, and um, so it's sort of and it's very much the same as my family when they came to Australia too because they came in here actually totally uneducated, but irrespective of the education levels, they even if they'd been educated, they probably wouldn't have got an opportunity here because of the Australian structure. Um, so they went into you know my my family went into working in cafes and restaurants too. Um, Nowhere near as successful as yours, but nonetheless, um, same sort of um, DNA. And it's, that sort of DNA is really important in our country because it it's important initiative, um, it creates jobs, it should be um, applauded, and we end up with, in some cases, sitting down and talking to people like you in a podcast as to find out as to why you went so well. Because our listeners want to know, wow, what is it that made them do so well? And I would suspect... A lot of it from from your uncle and from what you you and your cousins have carried on is just, well, fuck it. We've got no choice. We have to do this. We have to make it happen. Well, that's exactly what it was. So in 1989, um, or should I say 1988, um, my uncle and my family in South Africa had restaurants in South Africa. They sold to come to Australia in 89, um, had a small restaurant on Bondi Beach, which never worked. And then they had to fall back on doing something that's going to work. Saw a chicken shop in Coogee for sale and went and bought the chicken shop and had no option, had to make it work. My, my uncle and my aunt worked in that. Um, Is that your dad's brother or your mum? That's my dad's brother. Your dad's brother. They worked in the shop in Coogee and made us a success. And in those days, it was called Charcoal Chicken Coogee. They rebranded it to Charcoal Charlie's. Can I just, just can I just stop it there for a moment? So was that a, a franchise they bought? It wasn't a franchise. It was a single shop that they bought from a Greek fella. Um, 
forget his name at the moment. Be the um, same, be the same. By the way, and the Greek fellow who bought it probably set it up like my dad when he exactly. first came to Australia, which is exactly what your family has done on the, on, on, in 88 or 89. Yep. And great. so you, you bought, your your family bought this um, charcoal chicken shop in Coogee. That's it. And somehow they've turned it around, like they've, they've re-engineered it. Then they ran it as they bought it from the Greek man, great man, successful business, and they ran it. Every, very, very slowly did we, or should I say they at the time, introduced new food because they came from restaurant background, so they knew new food. But very, very slowly this happened. In 1994, when my family arrived, so that is my uncle's brother, yep. my father, um, my two cousins who were living in Australia at the time had finished university and I came with my parents and now all of a sudden a team of two became a team of three, four, five, six. And all of a sudden we had a very strong team. From there, we then had new blood in the business and we decided to do a few different things with Chargrill Charlie's and expand. And through ups and downs, um, having central kitchens, having a franchise business which um, didn't work too well, um, through the years, we decided to do Char Grill Charlie's, which it is today, which is basically a company-owned store. We have 11 stores. We do have three franchises in our businesses at the moment, which um, are very hand-picked relatives and very close friends that we've picked to join our team. Otherwise, we run the stores ourselves. In some of the stores, we have uh, um, partners. And that's our recipe going forward, which has been very successful. And um, we've only managed to do 11 stores in all the years because of this reason. We're very fussy and our stores are unique and we run them as well as possible to have the outcome that we've got. I, I, and I do want to talk to you in the second half of, of our podcast about systemization and manuals and this process of you being fussy and uh, franchises and, and, and how you expand um, your footprint, but don't do it in such a way that is reckless, but at the same time, it is at the right, it's at the, at the right speed. I do want to talk about that in the second half. We'll come back to that one. Yep. Um, because, because, I mean, a lot of our listeners are interested in, interested in systemization. Yep. And to do a franchise property, that's what you've got to do. In fact, just to open up your another shop, you need systemization. You need to understand the systems. But I will come back to that. I do want to concentrate, though, on the whole family. You, you said earlier two became six or something like that. That's right. But really, it's just one big family. One big family. That's and, basically and, it. Yeah. And, and the business was a startup until 1992 or three or four. I mean, it was a startup from 89. Um, and as you said, they were introducing new stuff and try, try, trying things out. And if that was wrong, they put something else up there from what the original Greek vendor sold it to you as. But it's nonetheless a startup. And all the people coming to here um, who have had businesses have always been seeking are always seeking investors, and generally speaking, the first round of investors are family and/or friends. Um, you know, the words. What I'm saying is that people who put dough into it now, money into it. Pardon the pun. Put money into it. So, but in your case, your startup, your family startup, your investors were actually family. They might not have put money into it, but they put time and effort into it, which is actually equal to money. Yep. So again, your 
I mean, I'm saying this for everybody. You know, you, if you've got a startup business or a young business, a new business which requires expansion, needs expansion, but it also needs investment, the best place to get investment from is family and friends because mostly you're, you know, ultimately your family and friends trust you. And in your case, your uncle trusted his brother and his brother's children, which is you, and, you know, your cousins all got together. So, you know, like, because it's a numbers game and – numbers of people. So I could go and take your business as a startup, go and find three investors to put in $100,000 each, and that $300,000 then would be used to either build some software or alternatively will be used to pay staff who are going to expand my business. What you guys have done, instead of putting the $300,000 in, you've just got people come in and say, listen, hi, Uncle, I'm here. It's Saul. Nephew Saul, um, and uh, you don't need to pay me probably the going rate. You probably didn't get paid as well. You probably lived at home with your dad and your mum. Exactly and right, uh, yeah. you got you got food and board in return for working hard. Yep. I mean, the benefits are down the track, but you took a view. This is what I'm going to do. And that was done out of necessity. Yep. You didn't have a choice, really. Is that right? Well, myself, I had a choice in the beginning. I was um, starting to become an electrician in South Africa when I came here. So my choice was to either re-qualify as an electrician or to get into the family business. Well, why did you choose one over the other? I didn't know anyone in Australia. I came, I was very young, um, and the business was there, and I had the opportunity of working in the business from day one and just began, started serving customers in a chicken shop, started making food in a chicken shop. Well, was this one the one in Coogee? That or? was the one in Coogee. Yep. My aunt, my uncle were working in the shop. This was fun. This was my family. This was fun. I liked what I was doing. I was using my hands. And uh, from that day, I actually never turned back. I didn't think about qualifying as an electrician. I thought, this is something that I can do. This is something I enjoy doing. And I'm going to do it. As well as I had, as I said, I had my uncle and aunt right next to me. I had my cousins working with me. This was great. I was 20 years old. And were this you- This was fantastic. Can I ask you this all? Um, it's sort of like a private question, I guess, but it's, I'm, I'm telling you now that our listeners would be interested to know this. How did your uncle deal with paying you? How did that all work out? I mean, like, how do you deal with this in a family environment? What do you say to your nephew or your son- if you know if you're running a business, look. This you- this was never ever discussed. Um, even as a small kid back in South Africa, I think I was ten years old. I actually worked for my uncle in his restaurant, dry knives and forks. To this day, I don't know how he paid me, and I don't know what I got paid. I don't even know if I did get paid. I do remember getting a few rands in the days in South Africa. The same thing came when I was twenty years old, and I came to Australia. And I started working. The money was a separate issue. I did get paid, and I don't remember what I, did, what I got paid because the payment wasn't an important thing. I knew I have a future over here, and I'm working with my family. If they can afford to pay me, they'll pay me. And I knew that um, the future will be more important than what I get paid today. It was never, ever discussed. Is that a, that's, that's an interesting um, concept because is that a – do you think that's a, um, a South African cultural view or is it um, just a, a universal family view? I think it's maybe universal family and the way I was brought up. As I said, 
Um, in my working life, when before I came to Australia, I worked for people for no money, for experience. And that was the type of person I am. And I think it's the type of um, people my family is. I don't know whether it's South African or not. I don't think it is. I think it's the type of people that we are. And the same way as coming to Australia in 1994 and getting working with my family. Yes, I did get paid. I got paid probably the going rate that the backpacker got paid as well. But we, after that, when we were growing our business and there were times that were tough, um, payment was the least important thing. It was getting the business on the road, which was more important. And how many hours a week you worked wasn't important. Did anyone ever have a discussion with Saul, sort of say, Saul, mate, you invest in your time and effort and your, and your um, commitment and loyalty, et cetera, to this business. One day you're going to be part of all this. I mean, did, was that ever a discussion? I mean, what would, because I'm, why I'm asking this is what listeners who would be thinking to themselves, Joe, I, I think I could do that with my nephews or my children, but they don't know how to go about the conversation. Is it a conversation? Does it need to be had? Um, we, we're a very close family. We never had that conversation. So, because it is it assumed? I think it was. Yeah. I think it was assumed. The day I came to work in this business, even though it wasn't mine, it felt like mine. And because it was uh, my family's, it was as good as mine. That's a really good point you make. Now, I often go out and talk, and, and people often say, well, you know, what sort of qualities you look for people who you employ? One of the qualities I say, there are a number of them, but one of the qualities I say if you're, trying, if you're employing people and if you're lucky enough to find this individual is to employ people who have a sense of proprietorship. Um, in other words, they think they're an owner or they act like an owner or indeed they become an owner. You, make, you give them some equity because they're the people who – those people will operate it the best way because they're all in together. You know, yep. like in your case, it's a familial bond, bond you know, the Sher family – and it doesn't really matter what it is that motivates you to act like a proprietor, but if you can find something in terms of the people you put into the business that allows them to feel like a proprietor, in other words, an owner, then I think you get a far better outcome, which is probably one of the reasons why your business has done so well. I mean, you've got your cousins, et cetera, the whole family's involved. They've probably all got the same attitude. Yep. We all feel like proprietors yeah. and all of us treat this like our own business yep. and nothing's going to fucking get by us. We're not going to slip up on anything. No one's going to dud us. No employee's going to steal from us. You know, if they do, we'll find out. Um, we're going to make sure that the business faces up to customers in the best possible way and we look after our customers because our customers is where we get our revenue from. We're going to make sure we get the best price on our chicken but the best quality chicken. We're going to carry all those things that are our mission Every single day, every day, all day, um, to, to to be completely fulfilled, and and that proprietorship sense. Do you think that's a, a dominant reason why Char Grilled Charlie's has been successful? Because there is a group of people who act like proprietors, who think they're proprietors. That's most probably the thing why Char Grilled Charlie's is successful. It's because of the Sher family thinking the way they think and passing that on to their staff. The first thing we teach somebody the first day he's, he's at work is when you make food, make food like you're making it for yourself. If you make a chicken roll for a customer, make it exactly like you're making it for yourself. And I think through that attitude... You definitely um, don't want any vegetarians working for you then. <laughs> <laughs> I think through that attitude um, of the bosses and that passing on to the staff, it becomes this big family business. 
Um, I've even had um, customers come to me and we've got a Vietnamese lady who's worked for us forever and customers come to us and say, I've never heard of Vietnamese with a South African accent. So that's just because they are with us all day, every day, and they become one of us. And do you and, get, and do, sorry to interrupt, so, but do you, because I want our listeners to, to take, take note of this. If you're employing people or if you're going into business with people, go into those business with those people who think like proprietors, who act like a proprietor of the business. But, but more importantly, what, what, uh, Saul's, what Saul is telling, more importantly, what Saul is telling us now today is that that's a continual process. So it's not just something day one when you first get them in the door. You treat them like part of the proprietorship and or the family yep. all the time. Yep. Did you go to, do you go to, uh, to the extent of saying well, it's Christmas or it's someone's birthday? I mean, what do you do? What would, what do, how do you go to your way to make sure everyone feels like part of all this? This, this question has been asked to me quite a few times and it's a hard one. I think it's more the way we treat people and our staff feel that. We do have Christmas parties. We do have parties on occasions. But I don't think it's about the parties. It's about how this um, young Vietnamese lady um, was treated on the first day that she worked when she couldn't speak a word of English. And today, she's a manager of a shop. She's worked her way up from being a salad maker in a kitchen to a manager in the Warunga store to a manager in the Rose Bay store. Um, met her husband in Chagro Charlie's, has had two children. We've been to their house to celebrate birthday parties for these children. And she one day will be a partner in a Chagro Charlie's when she's ready. Let's give her a shout out. What's her name? Her name, Daisy. Daisy from Rose Bay. That's it. Good Daisy. on you, Daisy. And I, that's a great story because no doubt they're no different to what your family was when your family first came here in 89 and again in 94. Uh, Daisy's come from Vietnam trying to get a better life. That's it. And probably run away from something there, some drama in the in the place. And now she's married and got a family. And she's going to be forever grateful. Um, but equally, you're grateful to her for what she does for you. Well, I have to. So I have to go to the break. I mean, I can talk yep. about because I think this whole proprietorship thing is really important and how you treat your staff and where you find your stuff. It's really important. We're going to go to the break now. And when we come back from the break, I just want to do a little bit of continuation on that topic and the cultural issues that, you know, how you run your culture and your business. Then I want to talk about franchising after that and uh, systemization. Matt, how are you going? Well, thank you, Mark. That's good. Um, I guess you're fresh off doing your SME Expert uh, podcast. First one came out this week. How are you feeling about that? Good? Yeah, absolutely great. We've got a good lineup coming as well, and I think our first one uh, was just great. And who you got next week? A branding expert. Branding expert. Yeah, yeah, really, really handy. And I think that a lot of people really struggle with that, um, knowing when to, to brand their business, whether they do it from day one or, or wait for a year or so on, how they do it, trademarking and so on. Messages, et cetera. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. and by the way, what business you got for sale for us this week? What are you going to highlight? Yeah, Sydney-based again uh, this week. So we've kind of gone around the country, but back to Sydney this week. And um, it, it's a business, eastern suburb Sydney, uh, 1.3 million turnover, great little noodle business, fully systemized. A noodle business? Yeah, really popular noodle business, eastern suburbs. Right. What's that? What's a noodle business? You mean like... Uh, yeah, like- so uh, Asian kind of cuisine, but it's very systemized. So you could literally, you don't necessarily need to be, you know, uh, an Asian chef or anything like that. It's completely systemized, uh, well over a million dollar turnover. Uh, and a good two fifty k profit to the owner. Excellent. So uh, we we moved from all sorts of IT yeah. businesses now, 
Now we and we went for property management businesses last week. Now down to a noodle business, uh, nice and retail. And, and by the way, is it a shop or is it like a takeaway type deal? Uh, it's got a small eating area, but it does a lot of takeaway. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know a lot of people love their noodles, mate. So. If you're interested in buying this business or making some inquiry, or in fact, if you're interested in selling a business, come and talk to Matt, Matt Holland at mentor.business. Okay, Matt, look forward to talking to you next week, mate. Thanks, Mark. And good luck, by the way, with the SME experts, you and Matt Purcell. Thanks. You can download it from podcastone.com.au or search SME experts on Apple Podcast. I'm here with Saul Sher, and we're coming back into our second half now. And he's from Char Grill Charlie's, which is a, a family-owned business, and it has some franchisees as well, and it's spread across Sydney. And one in Melbourne. And one in Melbourne, okay. And I want to talk to him. We have been talking about culture within a business and how you build good stories within a business. It's just funny, you know, like a business, the character of a business, and therefore the culture of a business is built off the stories within the business. And the story that Saul and his uncle and father and cousins and is any of your brothers and sisters involved in business? I have one sister involved. Well, one sister involved in business. The character of the business and or the culture of the business is, starts off from the story about your family, Saul. That's a great story. And the reasons why I dug into this, why you, know, why you left and your family left South Africa what were the circumstances upon leaving? How you sort of pulled yourselves up by your bootstraps and, uh, you know, turned this into a great business because out of necessity and uh, out of necessity come, you know, great inventions and great initiatives. You know, mother, uh, necessity is a mother of invention in a lot of cases. And But now the culture of your business is and the character of your business is to some extent determined by the other stories in your business. And we just talked about Daisy. There's a great story there. Yep. Daisy came out from Vietnam, couldn't speak English, now speaks English with a South African accent. Um, you know, start off in a, making salads out the back and uh, now one day, maybe one day she'll become a partner, but now she's running the business in Rose Bay. Is that right? That's and it. And you've probably got a few stories like that. We've got quite a few stories and even we've got stories. We have um, a lot more Daisies. We've got the different people's names who started with us right in the beginning. Dinesh, for example, he's a partner of ours in Annandale. Makul met Vivi in the Mossman store many, many years ago, and today he's a partner in a store in Monavale. And is he, he, he's married to Vivi? Is that what and he's married to Vivi, met yeah. her in Chargill Charlie's. So Chargill Charlie's has, not a, has made quite a few couples as well. That's interesting you should say that. Because that, that, I just, you know, like it brought back a memory of me, so my father, when he came to Australia, and this is not about me, but I just wanted to share with this because this is a typical immigrant story. When he came to Australia, he worked in his his father's um, restaurant um, or cafe in the city, and um, he met my mother there. Yep. And uh, we never worked in that restaurant, but I certainly worked in my dad's brother's cafes and uh, bakeries and all that sort of stuff. And it's the same story that I can sort of relate to. And Australia, that's a fabric of Australia. I mean, Australia as a place our fabric is based on immigrants coming in here out of necessity and trying to do something better than what they were doing back in their own country. And it could be just starting again, by the way, yes. like your family, yep. at, at an older age, at 50, like your yep. father. And I think they're just such wonderful stories and backgrounds. Um, and it's just sheer hard work and guts 
that make it happen. There is a lot of initiative involved, but it's the hard work and guts that make it happen at the beginning. And and, I, right. and you've you you're lucky. I mean, I, and I, I I guess you've got to bless yourself every day. But you're lucky. You saw them do that. Yep. And that becomes your fabric. Yep. You are happy to work in the business without thinking about how much you're getting paid, because you knew that that was the answer to whatever your family were trying to do establish. Yep. And do you, do you feel lucky? Definitely, definitely feel lucky, and feel lucky to have the support system that we have around which is our family as well as our staff. Another great story is another lady that works for us in the Wallara store now. She started when she came from Kurdistan originally. She started with us when she was 20 years old. Today she's, I think she's around about 46. She's a grandmother. Wow. And she's still working for us. And if anyone goes to the Wallara store, everyone knows Vian in the Wallara store. She's not a staff member. She's family. And I think that's most probably our um, one of our strengths that we have in this business. It's a family business. Even the staff that's running our shops for us and partners, it's all one big family. We've treated them like family from day one. That's, that's uh, I mean, we often I get in here people who have got startups and their technology and all that sort of stuff. They're, they're great stories too. But one of the things that, you know, warms my heart is too hear discussions about um, staff members have been in a business for 20 years. Your, your staff members have been in business with you, with you for 20 years, how you've nurtured them and in turn they've nurtured you back or nurtured yep. the business back. And you've all, it sounds horrible, but fed off each other in a, in a positive way Yes, and have built great stories amongst yourselves. And, and what I'm glad that you're being prepared to do is share those stories. That part of it's fantastic, but you've had to use some, business acumen too. Yes. And business acumen means about how do I expand my footprint? Because at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to put anyone in the Monavale store or in the Wallara store because you, you, you weren't going to be able to do any of this if you just stayed at Coogee. You had to actually open up other stores. And to do that, you need to, um, it's not just about having good people in those places who you trust and who you love, but it's actually having a store that has a system that will work. And whatever you was, was working at Coogee, Somewhere along the line, someone in your family sat down and said, okay, let's migrate, transport, whatever we're doing right in Coogee and let's put it into play in, where was your next store? Where was it? Second store. From Coogee, we opened a couple of um, Larson stores, which was Bondi, Ataman, um, but those we don't own anymore. And then our first store was Mossman's store. Mossman, okay. So... That systemization, I mean, something works. And, and I, I mean, for my listeners here, I'm always talking about systemization and, and writing manuals out and n knowing what you do, what the next step is. Because if Saul gets sick, who's going to pick up the, the book and do exactly what Saul did yesterday? How do you go about that? H how does your family business go about making sure that when you open up, um, let's, I, mean, I just pick the Mossman store, the Rose Bay store, it doesn't really matter. How do you make sure that Everything's bought on time. Everything is properly scheduled. It's bought for the right price. It's cooked at the same temperature in the right same oven for the right amount of time. It sits in the the display in the right part part of the display for the right amount of time. It's then cut up out of the display and put into the the rolls if it's a chicken roll or whatever. It, you know, like, how, how do you how do you who organise all those systems and make sure that everything's done 
properly? How do you quality control that stuff? So when we went from the small chicken shop in Kuji and then we opened the next one, it was again another small chicken shop. And then we decided to expand from there. And as we, we got bigger and bigger and had an, another one, we never, we never really had more than three or four at a time. And we controlled the system by a family member being in the shop the whole time. While we were there, we were building the system that we could say so-called could be franchised, where we built it in our heads and eventually we wrote it down on paper. But can I stop you there? That's important. Because a lot of proprietors, and I talk about this playing defensively, is it's my second topic in my what I call my playbook. Play defensive because defense wins games. I mean, you're a South African; you probably love your rugby. Yep. Um, and defense will win a game if you're a great defensive side and you can hold the opposition out. If they can't score a try, all you have to do is just get over the line once or get a free kick in front of the goal. You can win a game that way. And systems and is no good sitting in your head. It's got to be written down because that's your intellectual property. That's what you've been spent, you know, five years making mistakes on to refine down to a process that actually works. So you wrote it down, yeah? Yeah. So you, that so that is exactly. So for many years, the systems were in the family. We knew all the systems. They were, as I said, in our heads. After that, we wrote it down and we made a franchise manual. We never franchised. We made a franchise manual. Still va- valuable to you, though. Still very valuable. Because your intellectual property. That's exactly right. Because that's what you've learned. I yes. mean, like some people say, think of intellectual property as uh, software or some sort of formula to build some sort of robot or hardware. But it's not just that. Intellectual property exists in your processes, your systems and processes. Yes. Refinement of them as well. Yep. And uh, so give me an example. Free, I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't understand your business, but give me an example, please, of what you would have written down. I mean, does it go to the extent like every Wednesday we go to the markets and we buy fresh vegetables? I mean, what, how so, does it work? So everything, the whole system has been written down. So it's the system when you open the door at 7.30 in the morning, what you do? First you, thing you do. You get first the, thing you do, you open the door. Yep. Second thing you do is you turn the chicken machine on, heat yep. it up, to put your water in the Bay Marie's, put your oven on, put food into an oven, cut and butter your bread rolls, um, clean the counters, put chickens onto the machine as well as the whole system um, before putting the chicken onto the machine, you have to know where to buy the, the chicken, what to do, how to process the chicken, how to um, stuff the chicken, how to put the chicken onto the rod, how to carry the rod to the machine. And every bit of the whole system has been written down. Right. So to that extent. And to what that about extent. banking? Like, does it sort of say at the end of the day, you've got so much money you've got to put in the bank? Well, I mean, I guess not so much these days, but in those days, back then when cash was more more available, you probably had to go find the ATM or whatever. How did that yeah, all work? Yeah, so there was a system for that. So in the franchise um, system, there is a system which says what to do with the money. There is cash up sheets and cashing it up, make sure that it balances. At the end of the day, take your money, put it in a bank bag, take it to the bank. Um, so every system for the chicken shop for Chargrill Charlie's has been written down. Um, unfortunately, the most important thing in our shop is time. To teach somebody to do all those systems and to teach somebody to do all the cooking for our shop and everything that goes to running a Chargrill Charlie's is a huge amount of time. And that's why we only have 
11 stores because it takes that much time to teach somebody our system. And that's why we have the system, one of our so-called, we don't call it a franchise, it's a partnership, where somebody has worked for us for many, many years that has become our partner in a Chargrill Charlie's because that person has learned the system. Never mind that person, whether he's read the book or hasn't read the book, that's not that important, but everything that he's learned is in that book. Right, and, and, and so you recruit, because this is an important point, if you want to increase your footprint, whatever your business is, and you want to do it in a way that's faithful to what makes the business work in any other location where it currently is in, in working, you've got to make sure that everything is, everything is exactly the same. So yours, and you've got to recruit people who can execute. Yes. And you just can't go and pick some random person who might have all the enthusiasm in the world, may well be a you know, first-class chef for that matter, but it doesn't mean that they're going to deliver to the customers because if they make great chickens but there's a, a line 50 metres long and uh, the door closes at 7 p.m. And, or 8 p.m. or something like that and half the people didn't get, didn't get the chicken, they're going to be talking about it pretty fast within Rose Bay or Wallara or Mossman or Monavale or something pretty fast and you're going to lose your customers real fast. Yep. So, so you're saying in terms of your recruitment pool of people you recruit from, the, you actually build a nursery first. Yes. And the nursery – is in a current shop and you draw them through the process and you pick out who you want to be in partnership with, which it basically becomes your franchisee. Yep. And uh, and at that stage, whilst you got the manual, that's there good for, for you know, that's good there. It's good there as protection and risk management. You know, people can actually refer to yes. it every now and then if they need to. You feel good because you got it there. It's a valuable thing. Yep. Um, but at the same time, you build a nursery of individuals from the beginning because – your process to teach them this stuff yep. is it, it, you're going to put the long finger on it. It's pretty difficult and takes a long time. That's exactly you can't it. walk in straight into a charcoal Charlie's. Well, that's great, great because what that tells me is that the uh, barriers to entry of anyone to compete against you are quite thick. Yep. I mean, you're not likely to have someone come down, come and open up across the road from you because it's not going to be an easy task. And if they do, probably they won't make it. Yep. Is that right? That's exactly. So therefore intellectual property and your process of recruitment and your nursery system is really powerful as very, a defense. Very powerful. For example, we have a new store opening in Dremoyne in a month or two time. And we have two partners going into that store. One guy by the name of Brian, who's got um, a lot of experience in the food industry and has worked for us and trained for, I think it's about two years now in our stores. So he's coming with a world of knowledge of his own, as well as Chagra Charlie's knowledge. He is going into that store with a partner, T, who's worked for us for 10, 12, 15 years. And that team will create a brilliant team in Dremoyne with that experience. And that's our system. Right. And then and, and can I, do, do you mind if I ask you, Let's call it a franchise. I know it, it it operates as a partnership, but it really is a franchise at the end of the day. Partnership franchise. Yeah. yeah. Um, what do you do? Do you say to them, um, you know, you the franchisor, um, we want a percentage of your turnover, or do you charge them a royalty fee? Because some people would love to know how, you know, what 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 you think is an efficient way of 
the franchise or the head office are getting something for someone now using its system to run their own business? How, how do you work? Or do you take a percentage of the, of the business yourselves? So we have unique um, um, situations because we are we have these hybrid stores, as we call them, with um, partners. We call them partners, but it's more um, in legal terms a franchise. Yep. Um, we treat them as partners. They are our partners, but it is a franchise. Right. And we have different structures to make this um, system work for different people. Right. Okay. So you, you individualize it. So in other words, it's not just a franchise. Come and get one of these franchises, walk away, and you're a franchisee. Sometimes you might say, well, we'll own 20% of it. You can own 80% of it or, you know, however it needs to be done. Because, you know, someone's yes. got to pay for pay for setting these, these yes, shops up. I mean, there's a cost. That's exactly right, yeah. Uh, I mean, was on, on average, what are you talking about, half a million dollars to set up a, a, a shop? No, nowadays, it's to set up a small shop is most probably over $1 million. Over a million bucks. To yeah, set wow. up a small shop. And, and yeah. by the way, for your listeners, you know, that, it's, expensive. it's expensive. You know, you know, we're talking food here yes. and it's got to be done properly and you, displays and every other thing. As you said, you're Bay Marie's and you got – you know, things to roast the chickens and you've got somewhere, you've got a prep area at the back, I guess, which is nearly like a little kitchen. Yeah. Uh, like a, a commercial kitchen. kitchen a commercial kitchen, yeah. Yeah. Cool and, rooms. Uh, yeah. And you're going to, yeah. So a lot of equipment. Yeah. There's a lot of sort of fit out costs. Yes. Um, so, so a million dollars. So not every employee who's been working for you for 15 years has that sort of money saved up. Yep. So you guys help them out in that regard. And that's why it sort of is like a bit of a partnership or it's, or it's more, tailored per per shop yes as well as we do have 100 percent franchise stores which right. those um people have been handpicked right the hand and they are very special people and they are again like our family we treat them like family they run the stores like family operated stores and there are four of those stores three and the one um the one couple who own um, the, they own two franchises. They have got a second um, franchise. Peter and Manfred, who are partners, there's a second franchise they have. So it's, it, it, I mean, today we've been talking about Char Grill Charlie's entry into Australia and in, uh, let's call it the late 80s, early 90s, and we're, how they've expanded to 11 stores now? 11 stores. And one more coming. One in Melbourne and two on the way. And two on the way and. We've been talking about the systemization of the business in terms of uh, opening up new stores, whether it's on a partnership or a franchise or um, or whether or not there is a, some other more structured environment between the franchisor, which is Saul and his family and the operator. Uh, we've been talking about the importance of building a, a good character in terms of the business itself and um, all the stories that attach to that character and therefore that results in a culture. A culture, which, by the way, is a, a working culture, works. It's a one that is has made this organisation successful. And now, I guess, I mean, I've been doing all the asking all the questions here, um, and we're running short of time now, Saul. But I always offer everybody the opportunity to ask me one question, and I was wondering if you have one question for me in relation to what you're doing there at Chargrill Charlie's. And by the way, I have been to one in Wallara. And I don't go there often, but I have been to the one in Rolara. I know my sons love it, and I, I haven't been to the – I've been past a million times the one in Rose Bay. It's always full, which, which, by the way, is the reason I haven't been in there because I, oh, I can't be bothered waiting. Two of my sons go there all the time. 
one lives around the corner and the other one lives with me and they, they spend a lot of money at Chargill Tra- Charlie's. I feel like I own one of your franchises. Um, what one question do you have for me, mate? Um, with your business experience, if Chargill Charlie's had to turn around to you and say, um, we would like to expand, would you put in X amount of equity and where would you think the business would be in a certain period of time? What would you do with Chargill Charlie's with, let's call it unlimited funds? So we're not worried about the funds, but what would you do as a businessman with your experience? Well, I would be tempted to expand if it was unlimited funds or if there was capital to invest in, you know, like if it's say a million bucks to set up a store and let's say there's $20 million in, I'd be tempted to invest at $20 million in 20 stores. Um, but I think your formula as, uh, I, I think what I would prefer to do is I would continue on with your current formula. That is not expand too fast, not be seduced um, by capital. Because it seems to me one of the things that works for you, which is a really big strength, and if I was an investor in your business, I want you to continue doing the same as you've always done, but maybe at a better speed, but not at a ridiculous speed. Yep. So in other words, I would if you said to me, I'm going to open up 20 stores with your $20 million mark, yep. I'd say to you, no, I don't know if you've got the capacity to do that, given the story you've just told me. Yes. I'd say to you... Um, probably better off if I gave you $5 million and I have five stores and yep. I get less a percentage, but I would like to see you do it over a period of say two years and, and then maybe at the end of two years review it. I would like, if I was the investor, I would like an option then to put in more money to maybe open up 10 stores over the next three years. Yep. Um, but using the same process you currently got, because it seems to me you have to bake your operators for a couple of years first. And yes. unless you could demonstrate to me that you had 20 people in your organization right now out of your 11 stores or thir- soon to be 13 stores, 20 operators who could, who could pick up stumps and go and start running another Chargill tra- Charlie's somewhere else in Sydney for argument's sake. Yep. Or, by the way, I'd be looking to go into Melbourne and to Brisbane yep. or Gold Coast. Um, unless you could show me you had 20 people already baked, ready to go, I wouldn't want to invest $20 million to open up 20 stores. So... But, I, but some investors will be tempted yep. to go really hard, really fast. And I think that would be a problem. That's just my gut feeling. Because what's yep. worth for you all this time is baking the right people. Yes. And not relying on someone who you can train over a period of two months. Yep. But someone who's actually learned on the job over a period of a couple of years at, a, at least. That's sort of what I'd be looking at if I was the investor. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say slow and steady. I'd say faster than what you're doing now, but not crazy. Yeah. And you don't have to be, you don't have to be McDonald's. Yes. I, I reckon that wouldn't be a mistake, trying to be McDonald's. Because McDonald's, they're just selling you, like, I don't want to undermine McDonald's, but what you're selling is a lot more of a process than what McDonald's sells. Well, that's exactly, it's the system. The it's system, you're, it's you're, a complicated system. More complicated and it's the, the food is more detailed, which is why you probably get more families coming to you in Rose Bay than would go to McDonald's if there was one there, which is what, there is no one and there's no McDonald's in Rose Bay. And there's a, probably a reason for that. Yep. Because families that live in these areas, I mean, I, I would be asking you where, which areas you're selecting, but families who live in these areas probably think that they're getting more healthy. Yes, definitely. Takeaway meal. It is a healthy takeaway yeah, no, meal I, cho- um, if you choose the right meal. 
Yeah, totally. And I've seen the vegetables and I've seen yeah. the salads and I've seen the in the in the in the meats. It's it is a healthy meal, but it's tasty. Yes. Um, and as you said, family. That is our you've hit the That's your customer. That's our customer, the family. Yeah. And uh, they're not looking for something they get in a minute and a half. They're quite actually most of these people are prepared to wait, you know, five or six minutes or eight minutes. You probably even know how long people wait in, in, in yep. general. Yeah. Yep. What is it? Are we talking about 10, 11 minutes? In the busy, busy period, they can wait 10, 15 minutes when it's not that busy, obviously, not that much. But once you've, once you've ordered your food, it's very quick. You wait to order your food because right. all the food is ready. It's a yep. matter of just putting it into bags. You used to have a ticket. You still have the ticket? Yeah, we got the ticket system. Yep. Yeah, without the ticket system, there was a bit of havoc going on in the yeah. shop. So once the ticket system came in, it was brilliant. I remember the, once I went to one of his shops and I didn't realize there was a ticket there and I was just standing there for about five minutes, couldn't work out what no You're still standing there. <laughs> then I eventually got a ticket. But but I, so, I, so I think you've sort of answered the question for yourself um, that you asked me. But yep. um, slow and steady, but at a faster pace than you're going now um, because and knowing exactly your market and opening up your new shops in exactly your market demographically Yep. and not trying to be something that you never were. And, or are, that is McDonald's. Yep. Saul Shirt. Appreciate that. It's been fantastic. I really love the story. Thank I, you. I, I, and I appreciate you sharing with me, you know, your personal story, but I also appreciate you sharing with me, the, the, taking me inside the sanctum and sh- sort of showing, talking to me about Daisy and others, um, because I think that's what a lot of people listening to this program are looking for. That, yep. That's gritty stuff. It's really good. Thanks yes. so much. Nice Thank to meet you. you. Nice to meet you too. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.